You're listening to a message from Every Nation Canberra. In this message, Pastor Joe Sulit discusses the joy of living a life of generosity. Hello everyone, good morning. I think everyone's here. We are Every Nation and I'd like to say, if it's your first time here, welcome to church. So we're Every Nation, we exist to honor God by establishing Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and socially responsible churches and campus ministries in Every Nation. We're continuing our series called Unstrap, a closer look at what the Bible says about money. Last week, we talked about the joy of living a life of simplicity, and today we are going to talk about the joy of living a life in generosity. Stephen King, the great American author of horror and fantasy novels, after having a near-death experience, said this in one of his speeches. He said, Human life is brief when placed in time's wider perspective. As a Christian, this is my take on this statement. In the perspective of eternity, our human life is brief. It is very short. I'm already 53, and most of us here who are above 50, if God blesses us with another 50 years to live to 100, we won't be here in 2070 to know about what it would look like. Most of you young people would probably still be here and have your grandchildren already. But then again, there are people, I understand from our reading and our lessons, there are people who have little. They just make ends meet. Some of us who are just, you know, surviving, just having enough to get by the day. And as we study the past few weeks, we also know that there are people who are extremely wealthy, people who have unbelievable amounts of money. Remember the study that was done by ACOS? There are Australians who earn $11,000 a week. Can you imagine that? That's a few months' worth of salary already. Now, I cannot tell you what you can do with your money, but what I can definitely, definitely tell you is what you cannot do with your money. You know what you cannot do with your money? You cannot take it with you when you die. And I don't have to raise a lofty argument to make you agree with me because we all know that we can take our wealth and possessions to our grave. But even if we know this for a fact, a lot of us are still chasing the dream. A lot of us are still caught up and distracted by the things this fleeting world has to offer. Let me ask you this. How much are you worth? Look at your bank statement. No, I'm just kidding. How much are you worth? I'm probably worth the value of the house I live in, two old cars, and some money in the bank. That's how much I am worth. Regardless of how much you have accumulated in your life, you cannot take it with you, and that's a fact. There are a number of us here who work for hospitals and aged care facilities. We have a lot of nurses here and aged care uh, workers. Every day, right, you see the fleeting reality of life. Someone dies, someone gets sick. The doctor says, you have, you, every day you see this. The Bible reminds us that life is like a vapor, a mist that is here today and then gone tomorrow. When we view today in the light of this reality that life is not, as we know it, a human life is not forever, 
The choices we make and the actions we take based on those choices are tremendously important. I want to share something with you. A few weeks ago, I realized what it means when you say you can take it with you. I was having problems with uh, voiding, and I went to a urologist. I was diagnosed with a asymmetric prostate. Not knowing what it means, right after the visit, while still at the parking lot, I looked up the source of all the world's information. I googled it and found out that it is a risk factor for uh, prosthetic carcinoma or prostate cancer. No wonder, while we were there, the doctor shifted this explanation from corrective surgery to, uh, he said, complications, and he said cancer. And then he started talking about how to deal with it. I was having lower back pains. And my doctor indicated in the MRI request that I had an abnormal DRE. So I had undergone a digital rectal examination, and he sensed, felt, that there was some abnormality with my prostate. When the doctor indicated that something was abnormal, red flag was raised. The red flag was raised in my mind. You know how it is, right? I was gently reminded that one day, all of us here will have and come to face to face with our fear of death. One day, all of us will face that. While I was in the MRI room, I felt the presence of God. It was a sense of peace that I cannot explain. The Bible says it's a, the peace that transcends all understanding, that passes all understanding. Looking back at this picture, this is what I realized. If ever you find yourself in a doctor's office and he told you, you have cancer, you just can't wave your MasterCard and say, I have money, make it go away. Right? You can't take out all your cards. I still have a BDO card, right? This is a bank in the Philippines. No, my Medicare. You know, I, I have a working for vulnerable ID card. Here's my flybys card. It won't work. It doesn't work that way, right? As we end this series on money, my awareness is this. Whatever you have, your house, your car, the money in your bank, your stock certificates, all the resources, Everything is on loan, even your own life. It's only yours for a short while. We read this verse a few weeks ago from Corinthians chapter 10, verse 36. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. None of us in this room can claim exclusive ownership of our possessions. Regardless of what you have, you cannot claim exclusive ownership of that. The Christians in the early church knew about this very well. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, it says, All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. They shared everything they had. In other versions, it says none of them would say, this is mine, about any of their possessions. 
Everything is mine. I've worked hard for this. This is all mine. If this is how you look at your possessions, then there is very little way that you can be generous about what you have. You may not admit it, but there are times when this is how we feel about our possessions. Many people feel this way about giving. You see, this is mine, all mine. I don't have an intention of sharing it with you. If we look at the early Christians in the Bible, we can see that this attitude is not common at all. Let's continue reading Acts chapter 4. This time, verse 34. Remember that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. Can you imagine selling your house? Brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. These acts of generous giving is what marked the Christian life during those days. My question is, what happened to this selfless act of giving and generosity and sharing? Somehow the idea of mine, me and me alone, this concept of exclusive ownership has blinded us from the real purpose why God has blessed us with what we have in the first place. What keeps us from truly and genuinely becoming generous? This is the question. James Baldwin, from the fire next time, said, It is rare indeed that people give. Most people guard and keep. Sadly, for many of us, our default is to guard and keep. Look at your cupboard. Look at your closet. Just look at your garage, mine included. Our default is to guard and keep. A lot of those things you don't even use. And they could be useful to someone else, but you don't want to give it away because it's yours to keep. You want to guard it. Generosity for most of us is seldom a lifestyle. It is like an option that you rarely, once in a blue moon, do when you feel like giving. But it's not a lifestyle. Number one, we find it hard to give because our concept of giving means we're going to lose something. If you take a piece of bread and give it to someone else, it means my bread is going to get smaller, right? But there is a mystery about generosity. If you look at it with your human eyes, when you give something, your resources, when you give them away, you might think that you're losing whatever it's you're giving away. In accounting, it's a debit from your account. But God's ledger is different. You see, God always rewards the giver in ways we cannot explain. In Proverbs 11:26, it says, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. The Bible says that the generous will themselves be blessed. When you are giving, you are sowing a seed, and it's not you but God who grows that seed. 
Number two, it's hard for us to give because we think that we deserve to hold on and enjoy what we've worked hard for. I completely understand you've worked blood, sweat, and tears to be where you are, to have what you have, and you deserve and you have the right to enjoy it. This is true. But remember, giving is an exercise of faith. It is our way of acknowledging the one who gave us the wisdom, the one who gave us the strength, the one who gave us the intelligence, the one who gave us the health to be able to work and produce money. If you have a selfish attachment to the things that you own, then beware. Because the things that you own will eventually own you. How many of the things that you have at home actually owns you? You cannot let it go. You cannot give it away. I know of people who have five cell phones. I know of someone who has five iPhones already, but he doesn't want to give away all the other four. I don't know if he wants to put up a museum someday, but it's just there sitting. As if you need, how many hands do you have? The things that you own will eventually own you if you do not live in generosity. Generosity is what keeps the things we own from owning us. Third, the reason why it's hard to be generous is that we sometimes feel that people are not worthy of our generosity. And it's true a lot of times. There are just, you know, people who just love to take and take and they don't give anything at all. There are those who you have given and given and they keep asking and asking for more as if like you're their ATM machine, as if, you know, you owe them money. You know, there are people whom you've given so much and in the end they would tell everyone you've given nothing. There are those who never offered anything, but they act as if like they've given everything to you. There are those when they've taken everything you, you've had and you have nothing left, they get mad because you tell them, I have nothing to give, right? You experience that. How can we give when we feel that the recipient is not worthy? He doesn't deserve it. Why would I give? Before you try to answer that question, answer this first. Are you worthy? If God were to withhold his blessings based on our worthiness, who among you in this room would probably deserve God's blessing? None of us. The Bible says all of us have sinned and it falls short of God's glory. None of us deserves to be here. But God, who bestows his blessings without discrimination, is the God we serve, and he is a generous God. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, he says, He lets the sun rise on both the good and evil and sends rain on the just and unjust. There will be judgment for everyone in the future, but in the meantime, God is generously giving us good things. Even those who hate God, even those who mock God, even those who do not know God, they still enjoy the good weather. They still get to eat good food and enjoy the love of the family simply because that is the nature of God. God is a generous and loving God. Number four, a lot of us find it hard to be generous because it's hard to let go, just like that cat in the picture. Why? Because we nurture an emotional 
and mental attachment to the things that we have. It's easy to give away things you don't like. Like the unwanted Christmas gift you gave last year would go to someone else, right? If a decor doesn't match your house, you put it aside because you're going to give it away next Christmas. Or a dress that you simply don't like. It's easy to give away things that you don't like. The challenge is when God asks you to give away something that is valuable to you. That is when the challenge begins. That is when conflict starts with our emotional and mental attachment to the things that we have. You know, I was blessed when a young child gave us this envelope last week, two weeks ago, with $5 in it. It would be more than enough to buy her lollies or probably her favorite ice cream. To us adults, it doesn't mean anything. It's nothing. But the message here is very clear. When you hand something, it is not about the size of the gift, but the level of attachment that you have to overcome to be able to give it cheerfully. See, it's not the size of the gift. It could be $5, it could be $1,000. It's a heart issue. Are you cheerfully letting go of that, or is there something holding you back? It is the level of attachment that you're willing to give up to be able to let go of that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, we are reminded that each of one should give what we have decided in our heart. Giving is something that is decided in our heart according to the purpose of our hearts. We should not give it reluctantly or out of compulsion. If you're going to give something that you will just regret giving in the end, don't give it at all. Someone once said, true generosity is when you give your all and yet you feel as if it costs you nothing. See? When you gave something to someone and you feel bad about it because it made a dent on your bank account or your bank total, don't give it at all. If you're going to give because you feel obliged to give, don't give at all. You don't pass around baskets or anything here. We have a giving envelope, but we don't ask for it. Why? Because each of us should give what we have decided in our hearts, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Number five, why do we find it hard to be generous? Because honestly, most of us feel we don't have enough. Right? How can I give? I can barely buy my food or buy petrol for my car. How can I give? That's human reasoning. Remember, giving is not just about money or possessions. Honestly, you don't have to be rich to be able to give. You don't have to be rich to be generous. You can be generous with your time, your expertise. You can be generous with the love. Give someone a hug. You can be generous with your smile. Why do you have to keep that face all the time? Try to smile. See? What does it cost? Nothing. Regardless of how much you have or how little you have, the point is none of us can run out of something worthwhile to give. 
we can always give something to someone worthwhile. This is what really happens. When your heart longs for God, you also long to give to others. God blesses you so that you can bless others. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, he says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It says, remember this. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will what? You will abound in every good work. The reason why God gives us all that we need is that so we can abound in every good work. God has given us so we can give back. God has blessed us so we can be a blessing to other people. And before I forget, you might be wondering what the result of my MRI exam was, right? My PIA or PIRAD scale scores number two, which means that clinically significant cancer is unlikely to be present. I praise God for that. Thank you, Lord. I will still have my cystoscopy on Monday, this coming Monday, and probably my surgery next month. But my doctor is now confident that he has ruled out the possibility of cancer. Let us not discount the fact that when the Bible speaks of blessings, it is not always about finances. The gift of life, the gift of health, you woke up this morning, you're able to stand up and come to church. That is a blessing, a proof, and a manifestation of God's faithfulness, God's mercy, and God's unconditional love for all of us. Why are we blessed? So that we will abound in every good work, so that we can be a blessing to others. So that everything that happens in our lives and everything that we do with what we have will point to God's glory, God's faithfulness, and God's goodness in our lives. I would like to end this by sharing with you the story about the tale of two seas. I'm talking about the Sea of Galilee to the north of Israel and the Dead Sea to the south of Israel. The Jordan River flows into the Sea of Galilee, and then it overflows until it goes to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is a dead end. It ends there because the water just stays there. The Sea of Galilee is one of Jesus' favorite places. It is to the north of Israel. It's beautiful with pristine blue water, teeming with life, plants and trees and animals. On the other hand, the Dead Sea is in the south, and it's literally dead. The lake is located in a very desolate region. It is so salty that no human life exists. Not even a bacteria can exist in the Dead Sea. Why are these two neighboring seas both receiving water from the Jordan? Why can they be so enormously different from each other? You know what the answer is? It's pretty straightforward. The Sea of Galilee receives, but does not keep the Jordan. 
For every drop of water that flows into the Sea of Galilee, it goes up. It's given away. Everything the Sea of Galilee receives, it gives back. But the Dead Sea, it keeps the Jordan. It has no outlet. Every drop it gets, it keeps. And as the water evaporates, it becomes saltier and saltier. As you can see, there are mounds of huge salt hills that just come out from nowhere. It's so salty, no form of life exists there. Without a form of life, it's literally dead. In reflecting on this, we could only be one of them. You could either be the Sea of Galilee, or you could be the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee is full of life. Why? Because it allows the Jordan it receives from God to overflow. The Dead Sea has no life because it just keeps the Jordan to itself. Now my question is, when God blesses you with this Jordan, which sea best represents you and what you do with God's blessings? Are you the Sea of Galilee that prospers because you generously share what you have? Or are you the Dead Sea that is void of life and joy because you keep everything and you share nothing. My prayer is that we would choose to become the Sea of Galilee. Cheerfully and unreluctantly, generously sharing what God has blessed us with. Let us go home with this reminder from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. This was Paul's command, the church in Ephesus. To be what? Generous. To be what? Willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. God has blessed you, all of us, with life, and so much more. We are blessed to be in this country, specifically to be in this city of Canberra. Are you willing to share your life? Are you willing to keep your Jordan? Or would you be generous to share it with others? That is the question that we have to answer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, here I am. Lord, I surrender all my selfish desires, all my selfish thoughts, all my selfish actions. Lord, I want to live for you and stop living for myself. And as I start living for you, I start living for others. Teach me to have a generous heart. Teach me to live a life 
that shares, that gives, that overflows. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for that reminder. We do not rest our laurels on our achievements, on what we have accomplished, on what we have accumulated. The world, the society, the people around us, what they say, what they think about us, they don't define us. It is you and what you did for us that defines us. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your generous love by sending your only begotten Son. That is true generosity. Even if we were undeserving, yet while we were sinners, you died for us. And may that always be a reminder for us to be generous in every way, in our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, everyone. You have a great weekend. God bless you all. See you next Saturday. You just heard a message from Every Nation Canberra. For more messages like these or to access other resources, please visit our website at iancanberra.org. Like our page on Facebook at facebook.com slash everynationcanberra.